From ZLDR News, this is Too Long Didn't Read. This podcast is made possible by our backers over on Patreon. Not only does their support make it possible for this show to exist, but we also give them an exclusive bonus section of the podcast every week. If you want to check out what you can get in return for supporting us on Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash TLDR news. Hello and welcome to Too Long Didn't Read. I'm Jack and today I'm joined by Ben. Hello. And that's it. Zach isn't mm. here today. We're not fully sure where Zach is. Devon, we think. Devon. I, is that I right? heard Devon, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard rumours of Devon. But I'm we just don't looking know why. At our system. We don't know why, but we'll update him next week. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll put it in the notes for next week. We're going to interrogate Zach to find out where he was <laughs> and why he wasn't here. Um, but regardless, he wasn't here. Um, some topics we're going to cut, run through today include the coronavirus, the upcoming UK budget, Amber Rudd and her altercation with Oxford University, the Lib Dems and their leadership campaign, and the demise of UK airline Flybee. Where do you want to start? I think the obvious, do the same as last week. We'll start with coronavirus. Start with coronavirus. Quick summary of what's happened since we discussed it last week. Continued increase in the number of cases, especially outside of China, with global cases reaching 110,000. The UK has also seen cases increase. Um, at the time of recording, it's at 278 cases um, with three reported deaths. In fact, yesterday was the largest one day increase. Uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson is set to hold a COBRA meeting today to discuss um, tougher measures in order to contain the outbreak. But obviously, at time of recording, we're yet to hear the um, outcome of that meeting. But at the moment, it seems like cases continue to rise, um, besides in China, uh, where containment does seem to have been a success thus far. February 4th, um, they had an increase of 3,887 cases. But one month later, on March 4th, they only had 139, which really highlights how big the drop-off has been um, and how successful, at least in some cases, China has been in containing the virus. So, Lots happened since we last spoke. Um, a lot more cases than there were, especially in the UK. There's been a pretty big increase. Um, and also since we last spoke, the government announced their plans to handle the coronavirus. Yes. The famous four-step plans. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not changed much since last week, my, my views on it. I mean, obviously, it's, it's an ongoing crisis and it seems to be affecting more and more people. I mean, Italy seems to be the main one that I keep seeing things pop up about. Yeah. Because um, I know quite a lot of people who have family in Italy and things like that. Like Italy, at least in Europe, seems to be taking some of the more extreme measures to try and contain it. So I think there's, I think I read somewhere there was like 16 million people effectively in quarantine in, in northern yeah, Italy. Yeah, it's a huge number. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a lot of the north of the country now. So like tr- travel, like travel bans, stuff like that. Um, and I know that today, apparently, um, Prime Minister Johnson is uh, chairing a COBRA meeting. Yeah, to try and decide like so i think the, the phrase they use is social distancing measures which yeah it's does, a weird phrase isn't it it is it is it does sound quite orwellian it does sound quite sort of um dystopian but i can understand why they're doing it it's not one of those i'm not i'm not going to sit here and go over one of those conspiracy theories and be like you know they're, they're doing it to try and take control or something like that i'm, I'm sure they're not oh I, i've not even heard these are they actually no they're not no no they aren't no i'm making these up okay. i'm just saying that i'm i'm sure I mean, I don't know that there are any, but I'm, I'm there sure are, someone guaranteed. will probably make those theories. arguments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I can understand, I can understand that. And I, I would expect, because I think we've got, what, three three deaths 
in the UK so far. There was the biggest jump the other day, 138 cases in a day. Yeah, I think I think more more measures are, are most certainly going to come in today, and I, I can I can see why that's the case, and I think that's the right thing to do. I think trying to get on top of it now, while it you know early on, probably the yeah. best way to try and deal with it. And it'll be interesting which measures are taken to continue because obviously, as we, as I briefly said, there's kind of the four-stage plan uh, the government has in place and they've yeah. said uh, we're somewhere between the first and second phase at the moment. Um, it'll be interesting what they do because there's obviously fairly basic reactions, which is what's happened so far, encouraging people to work from home, social distancing. And then there's obviously like much further procedures they could go to. That's things like shutting down schools. Mm. So it'll be interesting how far it goes as a result of the COBRA meeting today um, and how much they think we're able to contain the virus versus just trying to delay. How well do you think the government's doing in containing it so far? Do you think that so far it's been it's been fine? It seems like uh, the UK government is doing decently well at handling it. I think some of the advice is like pretty basic, obviously, and I want to touch on that again in a moment. But there's a limited amount that we can do without panicking people. You've always got to draw that line between mm. warning people and precautions and just straight up freaking people out. One country I did particularly want to mention is uh, the US's issues handling the virus. And it seems, I've seen a number of people saying this, um, that America's reaction is kind of a worrying echo of what China did initially, of mm. punishing people that talk about it too much, denying it, the outbreak is as serious as it is. And while obviously a lot of the big institutions, the CDC and people like that in America, are taking it seriously, it does seem that there's certain people in government that are trying to downplay the virus and to distract from its impact, which is obviously what China did initially, which yeah. led to this outbreak. And I'm not saying that because they're doing a similar thing, that means it's going to explode in America necessarily. But it's worrying that similar trends are being repeated. You've got other issues in the US too, like the fact that their testing kits didn't work initially. Their private healthcare system means that people aren't getting tested in quite the same way as they might be in other countries. And it means that in reality, only Tens of thousands of people have been tested and that's only really started picking up in the last week or so, which means that while the numbers in the US are still fairly low, the number of people who have been tested is also pretty low considering how large the population is. So it's kind of hard to gauge what the reality of the virus is in somewhere like America versus South Korea, which has just been amazing with the number of people they've tested. So I think as the number of people tested in the US starts to increase, the number of cases discovered will inevitably increase. Just So do you think that their approach to it is to try and stop panic? Do you think that's their main yeah. focus is to stop panic, to try and... Because, I, I, you know, you see in the UK quite a lot that... Um, I think I saw yesterday that Tesco... So for people who aren't listening in the UK, Tesco's is like just a big you know, supermarket chain, but they've been One limiting... One of the biggest retailers, yeah. Yeah, but they've been limiting certain, like, non-perishable goods to, like, five per person. Do you think that's the attempt with the US, trying to stop this panic that might happen? Is that their main focus? I think potentially. I think also, without being too cynical, there is a massive political element of it in the fact that they're in an election year at the moment. Uh, the Trump administration are relying on their strong economy. Not saying it's the only reason they might get re-elected, but it's certainly one of their strongest arguments. And allowing things to escalate and allowing the economic impact to hit even harder is something they really want to avoid. Not mm. only because no country wants an economic crisis, but they especially don't want one right now. But yeah, I mean, no one wants the panic buying that we have in the UK. 
Um, as you say, it's been pretty widespread, it seems. Um, I've not tried to buy any hand gel in the last few no. days, so no. I've got no personal experience. Maybe that'd be a good video. We see how many shops we have to go to before we can find it. It's um, not that they won't sell it to you. It's just that if you want to try and if you want to buy more than five, I think it's five in Tesco. Boots, I think, is two for hand oh, sanitizers. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. That. So I think it depends on the retailer. But also from social media photos and who knows how reliable these are, uh, a lot of places are starting to run out of stock. And in fact, actually, like the worst poll ever. One of my friends is an area manager at a major supermarket chain. He was saying that at their stores, they pretty much entirely sold out of anything related, even to the point where like hand moisturizer products that don't have any antibacterial properties are also selling out just because people are desperate to get anything that even looks like it might work. So I think there definitely is a case of panic buying. And I kind of do get it. Like if we did get to the point where we had supermarket closures, where we had issues in food supply, then sure, this kind of makes sense as a reaction. I'm just not convinced we're at that stage yet. And personally, it's not something that I'm doing. I think I read an article somewhere that the government was trying to say that, that you know, there'd be no need for stockpiling. They'll, no one will have to ration any basic goods, anything like that. Yeah. I don't think there's any genuine concern at the moment. And as no. I say, I have I have not even started stocking up yet. No. Famous last words. No, I haven't. We're I, on two weeks' I, time. We're on here begging for food. Yeah. I've not even gone on my big shop this week. So if, if there is, I've literally got nothing in the cupboards. Oh, I'm not sure we do either. I mean, Zach's not here, so someone has to... Uh, fill in the middle class void but we get hello fresh deliveries each week you know like the meal delivery kit thing oh i know what you mean yeah so we literally never have any food because that is our delivery each week we really would be in trouble if that didn't turn up we might have something in the freezer i'm not fully sure so yeah no i'm not concerned at the moment we'll update you if you do need to stock up but only after we've stocked up because we <laughs> need to get to the pastor aisle before you do wow <laughs> So just you might remember, um, we made a video on how the coronavirus affected the economy. And it's been interesting to see that story evolve. And there has been a continued downturn in certain markets and certain countries um, when it comes to the economy. Uh, I saw this morning the FTSE in the UK is struggling again, uh, continued decline. And it's an interesting question of what governments can do. This has been like a continued downturn. And normally the reaction to this would be some kind of stimulus through monetary policy. There was kind of an amusing line in The Economist this week, essentially said that no volume of cheap credit is going to stop people from getting sick and persuade them not to be scared. And it's like, well, that's true. Like normally mm. if people weren't spending, you'd satisfy their yeah. fear um, by giving them cheaper credit and then they're going to start spending again. But if you're at home self-isolating or you don't want to go out to the shops because you're worried about catching a virus, that cheap credit isn't the same motivator. So it's that the standard like procedures that they do to try and um, get out of the, the crisis we're in economically won't work in this situation because of the nature of the crisis. It's just yeah. they don't have the, 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 the traditional solutions just aren't going to work. And in the UK, they're doing some things in the um, report they released what, last week. The government has announced measures to ease tax on businesses that are struggling, essentially yeah. delaying some tax payments. I so saw that, companies yeah. that might have issues with liquidity and other stuff like that don't have to pay their taxes immediately um, and they can delay it because obviously that's better than the company going under, losing mm. a load of jobs. It's better just to pay the government a bit later. And interesting, I was reading a story as well about how China was able to order banks to go easy on all borrowers, which is something that's obviously easier in a country like China, um, which has uh, the economy and government climate that they do, um, which wouldn't necessarily be possible in the rest of the world. But yeah, 
as we say, it's an ongoing story. It'll be interesting to see how governments, economies um, react to the crisis if it continues. Yeah. So your homework, yeah. Ben. I gave you a, My homework, an article. You I'll you want- link this in the description and I'll put it in the show notes of the podcast if I remember. It's an article from The Telegraph and the title is, and the title is 100% why I clicked on it originally. As coronavirus shows, trendy urban lifestyles have made us chillingly vulnerable. And the argument of the piece is that as young people are living in shared accommodation more, they're buying fewer houses, they're buying fewer cars, there's the whole sharing economy around public transport, Uber, shared housing, that makes people more vulnerable to stuff like the coronavirus. I thought it was kind of interesting, but I think I've got more to say about like the rhetoric in the article yeah, rather was... than the article itself. I'm glad uh, because that you I think picked the... up on that too. Because I think the article actually makes some okay points and the tone isn't as patronising as I expected it to be when I read it. I thought it was going to be like a classic, uh, you millennials are idiots. Um, Whereas actually it does acknowledge that the reason that people uh, are choosing to live with others isn't because they don't want to own their own property, it's because Mm. of the price of it. There are some other good points it makes around the fact that self-isolation is harder if you're in shared accommodation. Yeah. The use of public transport, as great as it is generally, obviously isn't great um, when it comes to things like this. But it's just there's some really crazy lines in this there's article, some tenuous, in my opinion. Right. There's some really tenuous links in it is the bit that gets me a little bit. So there's a line in it about black cabs and said, uh, you know, people are yeah. getting black cabs more because there's a there's a glass screen between the driver and the people behind and it's like what evidence do you have that that's the reason that the reason is that glass bit there like people are getting more cabs okay fine people are getting more cabs we can look into that like what have you done to find out that people are getting those cabs because there's a glass screen there and i presume the assumption or at least the implication i read into that was that people are getting black cabs over ubers more yes because they have this like glass screen but it's like Could it not also be more likely, I would argue, that people are getting more cabs because they're getting less buses and tubes and Mm. that because people are scared of more mass public transport, I think it's like more likely that people are like, I don't want to go in the tube, which is just like a metal box rammed with potentially. Yeah, no, definitely. I'd rather be in a car with one person. That's surely a more logical conclusion. And also, I love the bit. There's a bit about um, the fact that we're unable to stock up because people are living in shared (laughs) houses. Yeah, they've got enough room to stock up. It's like what? How much room do you need? Yeah, I don't exactly. understand. No, but there's like, also there's also the one with the, the carrier bags as well. That's insane. Yeah, this so there was great. so they were saying that um, because people aren't using one-time use disposable plastic bags, they're they're, they're t- getting these. Well, I don't know what they're called. Like yeah, and he goes in specifically on like cotton um, tote cotton, bag kind of things. One. Yeah, yeah, and because we're reusing them, um, we're not washing them out. Therefore, it's more dangerous for us because we're not disposing them and then but you're you say, not sharing them no like exactly. i don't even understand the argument but it's and also it's not like you're putting like just just like random like, loose bits meat of, <laughs> yeah loose meat that's exactly what i was gonna say yeah. <laughs> loose meats at the bottom like it's all packaged stuff that's going in the bag yeah it's not like i'm pouring my milk into the bag waiting for it to mix in with all the other things that are gonna go off and go ah, i'll use yeah. that next time it's fine like i'll be okay yeah, I, I don't understand that argument at all. I just think a lot of the jumps in there are so tenuous. Like, yeah, so I think, tenuous. And I feel like maybe it was a good, like, long tweet that someone made. Mm. And then their editor was like, turn that into an article. 
and then like give it a slightly clickbaity title that sounds like you're going to attack millennials. To give it some credit, I do think there's some good points in there that I didn't consider. So do I. But then as the article goes on, it goes like more and more tenuous and then it gets mm. into the plastic bag argument, the, you know, the taxi argument, which as you said, could be for a number of reasons. Like they got a really good point at the beginning and then had to, it's like they had a word count to fill and thought, right. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I'd be interested to hear what other people think of it. The overall argument's really interesting, and I actually do agree with it. And I think it's something that no one else has really picked up on. So I agree with that. It is just the technicality yeah. of they get into these like crazier points near the end, which I'm not totally on board with. I was going to say, speaking of potentially annoying advice, how are you feeling about the number of times you've been told to wash your hands recently? Yeah, I was I was wondering where you're going with that, and I was like, he's going to go with the wash your hands thing, isn't he? And you did, yes. I I don't honestly. I think it's an advisor's got to him, hasn't they? Haven't they? They're saying that that's yeah. the biggest thing that they can do. You know, just keep keep saying this over and over. To yeah. be fair to him, it's not even just Johnson that's saying this. As you look around the world, like it's a fairly common thing that health organisations are recommending. It's just the number of times I've been told to wash my hands in the last few weeks. It's like, I don't understand who the people are that aren't already doing it. I like, think who is this news to? Like the 20 to... seconds thing, sure. Yeah. Maybe not every time does everyone wash their hands 20 seconds. That is quite a long time. But it's just mm. the fact that every news story on this ends with like some presenter washing their hands. It's like, yes. come on, we, yeah. we. I don't need to be shown this. I know. Who are these idiots that aren't doing this already? Just to defend Johnson a little the bit The hand-washing here. idiots. Well, I presume everyone does that anyway. I'm not. But well, clearly just... not. Otherwise, why are they telling us? It feels <laughs> I like... Think... Yes, yeah, surely people are, but if they are, then what's the point in the whole thing? I think it's the technique I, that he's trying to get get across. Like, maybe some people yeah. won't, won't do, as you say, the 20-second thing. And the other point to consider here is, me and you watch politics more than anybody else, really, or most True. other people. So I think they're saying it so much to hope, in the hope that people who, who you know, maybe just watch, you know, yeah. turn on the news once a week in the morning, or that it will it will come across at some point. And the fact that you know the technique, the fact that you've gone, it's 20 seconds, it's, you know, and do you know that shows yeah, that yeah. as annoying it is, as it is, it's working. Like, you know I'm that just, now. I'm putting the word out to Johnson right here, right now. I don't need to be told anymore. You can stop telling me. I know. Just you specifically. So ja- just yeah. me specifically, yeah. stop telling me. That yeah, your lunch meeting with him at the weekend. Yeah. He yeah, just, just kept telling me. And I was like, I know, Boris, come to yeah. the bathroom with me. I'll wash my <laughs> yeah. hands in front of you and prove it. Also, actually on this, sorry, I was trying to move on from coronavirus and I've got something else to say. Um, the interesting thing with us and YouTube and coronavirus. Yes, um, yeah. It seems that all of our coronavirus content has been demonetized. It doesn't matter what channel it's on. doesn't matter if it's mentioned in the thumbnail or the title, whether it's just mentioned in the video itself. It seems just the phrase coronavirus is instant demonetization. And to be fair, um, when you look through their policies, there are various rules around this kind of thing, around controversial content, around ongoing news stories and this kind of thing. So I'm not saying that it's outrageous for YouTube to do it. I think it does fall within their terms of service. But it's interesting that they clearly are trying to limit the spread of false information through YouTube. And they are trying to stop people from profiting off the coronavirus. Um, which I think is ultimately a good thing. It's not a great thing for us um, because it means any content we make doesn't earn any money, um, which is obviously fine to a certain extent, but we do have uh, stuff to pay for. So mm. it's a little annoying. And also when content's demonetized, it gets pushed through the algorithm much less. So even though we might be willing to take a hit on the video from like an economic perspective, 
we also will find the number of views we get and the number of recommendations we'll get is far lower. So it's a case of we're not earning anything from the video and the video will probably also perform fairly poorly. So from our perspective, it's a bit difficult at the moment because we want to talk about the coronavirus because we know people are interested in it and also because it's so consuming the news landscape. It's like, what else do we talk about? Everyone's only talking about coronavirus. But if we do talk about coronavirus, the videos won't necessarily do very well and they also won't earn any money. Well, what's more interesting is that I think there's a lot of smaller channels who rely on monetization in order to, to function as a channel. People who might be, you know, providing quality content, people, you know, science channels, things like that. These smaller yeah. channels that are, that are doing that, that rely on this money and YouTube's like decentralizing them to talk about something and maybe even, you know, produce like explainer videos, you know, I don't think there's many people that are going to be doing, when they say controversial, I understand that they mean the topic matter, so you know, coronavirus itself, but I would argue that the majority of people who are actually talking about coronavirus aren't going to be doing it in like a controversial manner. Like they'll just no. be doing like explainer videos and things like that. And the fact that the incentive for those to be made have been taken away from the creators just seems, it just seems wrong. And I understand, I understand that there, there'll be certain advertisers who don't want their adverts put on content about coronavirus but it's like those videos in of themselves might even actually be a good thing for you know the community yeah totally and and for that incentive especially you know for us maybe it's not so important because we've got other videos that do well and we you know we have income it's still a hit but it's not gonna render the channel you know it's not like we can't make videos on them completely because of it but there will be channels where that is the case and i'm sure that there'll be channels where you know they're you know sciencey channels things like that things that will actually explain it where that that is actually useful to people and that that incentive's been taken away from them i i don't know i understand it's a business i understand that they've got to be careful with advertisers i get that side of things but i also get the creator point of view as well um and maybe maybe because of the side of the line that we're on i'm more yeah. biased towards the creator <laughs> side uh but it just seems it just doesn't seem right I think the worry they've got is they only need one video that is popular, gets recommended a lot, gets adverts placed against it, that it's some kind of misinformation, some kind of conspiracy, some kind of fear mongering. And then you've got the concern of like advertiser backlash or equally, they don't want to incentivize people to make sensationalist content about it. Even if it's say like, I don't know, vlog content or something fairly innocuous, but they don't want a bunch of videos which are like, us going on like a like hall where we go around like stocking up and preparing mm. and like freaking people out. So I kind of do get that it's maybe yeah. best that people don't speak about it. I think there should be some kind of distinction. Also, just to preface all this, we've reached mm. out to YouTube for a comment. We've not received a comment. Um, so although it's incredibly unlikely that it's a coincidence that none of our content really gets demonetized and then suddenly all the coronavirus content has, it's possible this isn't an official YouTube policy and it's just something in the algorithm. Uh, I'll say that in their defense, but I will also say that seems incredibly unlikely to me. Yeah. Just one other thing as well is it seems like YouTube are trying to, you know, there's this argument that YouTube's trying to create this like new media. So they're trying to tackle mainstream media. And this almost goes contrary to that because the, as you said earlier, like the mainstream media, that's all they're talking about. Like Corona is the news story at the minute. That's what's in the news. That's what, when you turn the news on, that's what people are talking about. But YouTube are restricting its creators from talking about that by not allowing them to, you know, make any money from it and to support their channels so 
you know, they're trying to, to say that, you know, they, they, you know, they're trying to push um, certain channels that compete with mainstream media. They're trying to you yeah, know, yeah. have all of that on there, but they're then not allowing them to talk about the things that mainstream media are talking about. I don't know. It just seems it seems ridiculous that they want this to, to tackle mainstream media, but they've got so many restrictions on what you, what you can talk about to, to the point that controversial is now classed as something that everyone agrees is bad. In addition to the main podcast, our Patreon backers also get access to a bonus clip from the episode. For this week's bonus clip, we discuss the Liberal Democrat leadership race and the future of the party more generally. To get the clip and to listen to more from the podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash TLDR news. So let's move on to another topic, another topic which is still kind of coronavirus-y. Let's talk about the budget that's set to be announced on Wednesday this week. Um, so this is the UK's budget. It was set initially to come out uh, at the, towards the end of last year, but then was delayed because of the election and Brexit. Mm. Um, and now is obviously set to happen this week. Um, we were obviously expecting it to be um, conducted by Sajid Javid until he was recently removed. Well, resigned from his resigned. position. Um, resigned. Um, and now obviously Rishi Sunak will be doing it instead. People are already, and here's the link back to the previous section, uh, nicknaming it the coronavirus budget um, yeah. because people are expecting that a lot of the focus will be on how the government's going to react to that. Um, in fact, and we'll play a clip of this in a second, um, the Chancellor was on um, Andrew Marr's programme yesterday um, and he said that the NHS will get whatever it needs to get us through this, um, as well as suggesting that they provide temporary support to small businesses who are struggling. Mm say absolutely categorically the NHS will get whatever resources it needs to get us through this and to respond to the health crisis. We've already started that process. We've already released extra funds to the NHS, for example, for vaccine blank check development. We will provide the NHS with whatever support it needs to help get us through this. Um, So it does seem that there would be um, some definite focus on corona related issues in the budget when it comes out on Wednesday. So there's also like a wider conversation to have around the budget. And it'll be interesting when it does come out. We'll obviously make a video on it. Um, mm. How many of the government's core promises will end up being in this budget? Because with this one being delayed from last year, it means it's not that long until the next budget. Um, so there's talk that this one will be very focused on coronavirus. will be very focused on sorting out the issues we have at the moment. And then the next one, the ones towards the end of this year, um, will be the time that they properly hammer out some of the key promises um, and some of the key things that the Conservatives want to get done. Um, So it's a question of, will they spend on Corona now and then other stuff later? Or will it be kind of a hybrid of the two? Um, And I guess obviously no one really has any idea at the moment. um, But there's kind of a list of possible um, kind of like budget features floating around. I've noted some of them down. Um, But we don't know obviously at the moment what's going to be included um but what we do know is the coronavirus will be looming over it um i know that one of the things that they were looking at doing is increasing the national living wage i think those over age 25 will get the national living wage at eight pound 72 an hour uh and younger people also getting more um this is just from the from the bbc but you know increasing the national living wage it seems that, that that's something that wouldn't traditionally be like a well, obviously, conservatives can can you know in- increase increase that sort of thing, but it seems like yeah. at this specific moment in history, for them to be focusing on you know increasing the national living wage is just slightly different to what I would have expected at, at this point. You know, with coronavirus taking totally. place, with you know um, 
the, the departure from the EU and trade deals needing to be negotiated. Um, I understand like Johnson's a bit of a, a strange leader in the sense that he seems to be quite positioned all over the political spectrum at different points. Like yeah. he seems to be you know running in the campaign with increased government spending, de- you know things like that. Um, more doctors, more no, more, more police. Sorry, increased police. All of this, which mm-hmm. is more on that. But then you also have some more right wing policies from him. So he's a bit all over the place. But you know, on this this topic, if that goes up, that seems to be a strange point at which to do it. Yeah, and they've got a whole variety of promises along these lines. And the interesting thing is, in their manifesto, it specifically states that there'll be no rise in income tax, VAT, or national insurance. Yeah, that's the um, one. and obviously they're pretty comfortable with borrowing. That's something that's been made clear. Um, so it's not like there's not the potential to increase these kind of spending plans. Obviously, the national living wage doesn't directly affect the government um, from a spending perspective. Um, but looking at pro- policies which are more um, investment-based, potentially slightly more left of centre when it comes to kind of like spending and investment, um, that's not something the government is particularly shying away from at the moment. Uh, the national living wage question specifically, you're right, it is a bit weird, the timing, I think, I agree. Um I mean, obviously, you could look at it from the political perspective of the exact group of people that voted for Johnson last time. Is he trying to reward those people for their loyalty, for their support um, by introducing policies like this? And while it is a slightly less conservative policy than is expected, it's still kind of within the ballpark of what could be done, Um, especially, as you say, for a politician like Johnson. As I was saying when we were setting this up, it's a question of does the government delay its priorities because of coronavirus or does it still go ahead with them and to be fair looking at the economy the uk tries to keep its interest rate bill below six percent and currently it's at 4.6 percent which is fairly significantly below um the target which means that the interest the government's paying on its current borrowing um is a relatively small section of gdp at the moment certainly lower than targets and lower than it has been in a while um so there is the potential to borrow more um i guess that's the result of all the austerity we've been through and stuff they've got that leeway a bit um so there is a potential to borrow more and obviously as we keep saying um they could spend that on the nhs they could spend that on uh helping with coronavirus at the moment or they could do that in tandem with even more spending um for some of their other objectives um because looking at the list of Uh, things that have been discussed there's some pretty huge figures out there during the queen's speech they promised to get a grip on the social care crisis by giving one billion pounds to councils or the sunday telegraph says there might be a 400 million pound package to get six thousand rough sleepers off the street the sunday Times says the budget might include 160 million pounds for parents of newborn babies who fall ill the mail on sunday proposes a 320 million pound business rate stimulus um, to allow independent shops to claim business rates discounts so there's like a whole variety of stuff obviously those are just speculation that's just what people think Mm. might be in the budget Um, there's a lot of big numbers being thrown around alongside all of the um, nhs spending to handle the coronavirus um so it'll be interesting to see where that spending is allocated where it's coming from um because as i said they pretty much promised no tax increases across like the major tax sources. Um, yeah. So how much of that is funded by borrowing um, and which of the conservative priorities are they focusing on uh, on this occasion? We don't have any sort of insider information. So we'll... Uh, I wish we did. We'll have to see. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll have to yeah, see. Yeah, keep your eyes out for a video on Wednesday or maybe th- probably Thursday by the time it's out. But it's, I still find it interesting that, they, that it's all to do with expenditure, that, that they think that there's going to be money thrown about a bit or at least they won't be taking as much in. Which, which is unusual. Uh, yeah, it is unusual. Especially for now, I would have expected quite a, you know... But maybe Johnson was all so about spending on. throughout. All throughout his campaign was, he was really focused true. on government spending. So he was. It's unusual in the circumstances. It's unusual from a government like his. But for him specifically, I mean, what else could we expect? Um, so, yeah, no, you're right. It'll be interesting to see what emerges. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. We'll discuss it on the podcast next week, probably. We've mentioned the coronavirus quite a lot in this episode so far, which means it certainly won't be monetized on YouTube. But if you do want to see the full episode on YouTube or see clips of the episodes broken out by topic, then you can head over to the TLDR Podcast YouTube channel. You can find it by searching for TLDR Podcasts. So at the end of last week, Amber Rudd was set to speak at the Oxford Union and her talk was cancelled just half an hour before it was set to start. Um, She was invited by the UN Women Oxford UK Society. There's a lot of words in that title. Mm. Um, But just half an hour before they cancelled it after a vote of their committee and apparently she was pulled because of her role within the Windrush scandal. Um, Apparently the group were encouraged by um, the UN women's group, like the larger organisation, encouraged them not to invite Rudd ahead of time because of the risk and conflict it might cause. Um, They obviously went ahead um, and (laughs) upset Amber Rudd and a lot of people on the internet um, with Amber Rudd tweeting afterwards... Um, badly judged and rude of some students last night at Oxford to decide to no-platform me 30 minutes before an event I've been invited to to encourage young women in politics. They should stop hiding and start engaging. Oxford University responded saying that they strongly disapprove of the decision made by the UN Women Oxford UK Society to disinvite Amber Rudd after she'd been asked to speak. Oxford is committed to freedom of speech and opposes no-platforming. We'll be taking steps to ensure this situation doesn't happen in future. While Mm. I'm continuing quoting and not letting Ben speak, I'm just going to finish all my quotes. Um, Education Secretary Gavin Williamson said on Friday, um, the government would step in if universities fail to defend free speech. And Tom Watson, the former Labour leader, tweeted, if you're trying to silence Amber Rudd, you are really being anti-democratic. So this is part of a wider debate, obviously. We can discuss, if you want, the specifics of Amber Rudd's situation. Um, But it's part of a larger debate about the climate on campuses about freedom of speech um about people being no platformed and uninvited and not invited in the first place um because of their um political allegiances uh and that of people on university campuses um so what are your thoughts on the issue i uh, yeah i suppose the the conversation here is naturally going to go towards no platforming generally yeah. the thing that immediately struck me was that the oxford union have invited some incredibly controversial figures to speak i'm talking tommy robinson has has been at the oxford union um you know katie hopkins has spoken at the oxford union they were allowed to speak but i suppose it's a different thing isn't it because they're the oxford union who've invited those whereas this is a society so i don't know i i think there's certainly a conversation about 
freedom of speech and being able to, you know, being able to speak to people and debate their views and being able to talk to them about their views. The thing with all of this is it's a line and it's where you draw this line because I don't think anybody's saying that anybody should be allowed there and anybody should be allowed to say whatever they want. It's the same argument you have with anything to do with freedom of speech is that there's no, there's no, you can't take the ultimate line on either way with freedom of speech because if you go all the way one way, you're saying that there's no freedom of speech. But if you go all the way the other, you've got to allow some truly despicable people to voice their truly despicable views. Yeah. Um, so you can't take a hard line on anything, but it's exactly where in the middle you draw that line. And that's what the debate around free speech is always and always will be about, is that exactly where, where should this be? I think she should be allowed to speak there. And I think that if you have an objection to what she's done, then debate that with her, speak to her about it, let her speak her side and tell her exactly why what she did was wrong. And I think that's probably a more powerful thing to do than just tell her she can't speak. I agree. There's two kind of issues here, the freedom of speech thing and the debate thing. So I think you've, yeah, I completely agree with pretty much everything you've said on the freedom of speech issue that there is a line to be drawn somewhere, but ultimately most people should be allowed to voice their opinions on stuff. Mm. Um, but that is different if you're in like a, this is a, private society basically it's not a large scale event that she's being deprived of a platform on this is a small event that she was invited to and i completely agree that doing it 30 minutes before even if you think she shouldn't have been invited in the first place isn't the Mm. greatest look for the society um but the point is i think that they are a private society and if they wanted to invite her they can if they didn't want to invite her they didn't have to no absolutely yeah. Um, I, yeah and i think especially when you come with someone like amber rudd who's got such a profile she didn't need this society to invite her to get her voice heard especially no. because it's not the union itself it is just a society i think they've got every right not to invite her um i think the timing of it is very poor and i think generally people should be allowed to discuss and debate their opinions but i think in a private environment if you don't want to invite them you don't have to but then I think you get onto what you were saying about debating. And I think that's always, pretty much always more powerful um, than shutting someone down as having a debate with them. So I think ultimately the biggest loser out of this is the people involved in the society and the people in that kind of environment. Because I think they gain a lot more and they'd learn a lot more by actually engaging with her rather yeah. than shutting her out. And I agree there's a line there. And I think personally, I think engaging and debating with someone maybe like Tommy Robinson maybe has less value because i don't know what Mm. debate or discussion there is there whereas with someone like amber rudd as much as you might dislike her policies it's way better to spend the time debating her and discussing with her rather than shutting her out and shutting down debate i don't know why they didn't make that decision earlier like no was there not because i think what they said was they had a vote in their committee so why why they both done it already on when yeah exactly when you invited her was that decision not already made because if they hadn't invited her because they don't agree with her views, that's different. That's different story. Different. You are a society, and you can invite exactly whoever you want. Like you yeah. don't, you know, you don't have to invite anyone. You can invite whoever you want to speak about, you know, what you want them to speak about. Say, like, I'm assuming there's some kind of conservative society at Oxford. Mm. If I would be surprised if they were to invite John McDonald to do a speech there, just because yeah. why would they? And yeah. they have no obligation to. They could invite Rishi and not John, and it wouldn't be a concern or a conflict of interest because mm. they're allowed to invite whoever they want. They don't necessarily need to reflect both sides. And if they were to like invite John, of course they could invite John McDonald, and that would be, I think, a good thing for them to do to be able to debate with him. Um, but it's not expected. You, I don't feel like you have to in an environment like that. 
That being said, like you were saying, if it was officially sanctioned by the university and they had a policy of inviting people from all over the political divide, then of course that's different. You want to be able to show that diversity of opinion. But mm. for a private society, a private event is a bit like, <clears throat> what can you do? With free speech generally and with, with no platforming, it is a line. And it is a line mm. as to who falls on each side of... Uh, of that line of who should be invited and who should have a platform speaking who shouldn't and yeah. I think everybody's going to have a slightly different line at which they draw some people will draw that further than others some people won't yeah and I think the most unhelpful part of this is that plays into the general um, narrative of universities and students being unnecessarily sensitive and anti-discussion mm. and anti-democracy and I think there is probably a debate to be had there, but I think often it's hyped up by the media as a much bigger issue than it is. And I think instances like this are perfect fuel to that kind of argument. Um, and I think that's unhelpful for everyone. Before we get to the last bit of this podcast, I want to let you know about probably the least appropriate thing to promote via a podcast, and that's our merch. We have a bunch of new designs available right now, which you can't see because it's a podcast. But if you do want to check them out, you can head over to the TLDR store. Find all of our merch, including our Teespring items, by going to tldrnews.co.uk forward slash store. So last week, UK airline Flybe announced that they were going into an administration. Before their collapse, the airline carried 8 million customers a year, connected 57 airports in 15 countries, and their 63 planes flew over 210 routes. In fact, the airline represented 36% of all domestic flights that took place in January of this year, making them integral to the UK's transport and aviation industry. In fact, some airports relied on Flybe so heavily that Southampton, for example, 90% of their flights, 90% of their flights were Flybe flights, 80% of flights from Exeter and Belfast were also from Flybe. So this is another big airline in a series of airlines to collapse in the last few years. Mm. Um, but as one of the UK's biggest domestic airlines, it makes a really big impact on people's commutes, people's connections to um, other people and to loved ones and the way that they are able to move around the country. Equally, though, there is an argument to be made that maybe this is a good thing and that the UK is over-reliant on flying um, when other um, more sustainable uh, transport options are often available. Can I just, so, before you carry on, can I just pick up on that point there? Yeah, no, go for it. So we're over So what's the argument? That we're over-reliant on air travel yeah that this is ultimately a good thing um and this is just the market's response to um people pulling away from flying flying less but, um using other public transport instead but presumably people aren't using flights to i know that i know of a couple of people who have flown from like you know scotland to nottingham or something like yeah because it was ended up being cheaper than the train which you know, um, environmentally is bad. I will completely accept that. I wouldn't say that's like widespread. I wouldn't say that the majority of people who have done that, most people will use it to go abroad. And we're an island nation. It's not like we can just get like a, I know that there is obviously the Euro style that you can get to France, but like it's yeah. so, surely that's so impractical. And so are like boats and ferries and things. Like, yeah. I don't entirely understand that point in of to itself. To be fair it's like, though, a lot of the flights that Flybe were providing were domestic flights within the UK. Um, well, well, genuinely, there's a lot of people flying domestically in the yes. UK between yes. like two cities within the United Kingdom. Yes. Oh, I never knew that. I'd, I mean, I'm not saying for Flybe, millions. or generally speaking. 
I think a lot through Flybe because they were one of the few that offered it. I think pretty much it's Flybe, EasyJet and British Airways that offer those kind of flights. Um, but I think a lot of the shortest ones were pretty much only offered by Flybe. And there is a, like there are a lot of good examples of like connections from Northern Ireland that Flybe offer or connections to the Isle of Man and things like that um, mm. that weren't really offered by other airlines. And of course, as you say, we're an island nation. So those people, they can't drive from the Isle of Man or they can't get yeah. a train from the Isle of Man. That, that's um, what I was there, on about, yeah. But a lot of there are a lot of flights that they were offering that were domestic. Um, there's one example that a lot of people talk about, the Newport to London flight that a lot of people used to commute on. Um, there's a lot of a lot of the biggest disturbance from this is because of the domestic flights, because obviously the flights to the rest of Europe, which they do have a lot of 30 airports they connect with across mainland Europe and 27 across Britain and Ireland. So pretty much half and half. But the ones to the rest of Europe, of course, any airline can offer those. You could name an absolute ton of airlines which you could fly to Europe with. Like when you go on Skyscanner, the list of options yeah. is insane. Um, but it's those local domestic flights, the short haul ones um, that people are using for their commutes to visit family, that kind of thing, um, that people are upset they're going to be losing or and as happy I, that are going to be lost, depending on your perspective. And as I think you already brought up, I think Flybe was one of the ones that, that offered those unique flights to the yes. small you know, like Isle of Man, places like that, mm-hmm. um, that, that are, are like unique to that, which is why that, that's kind of a negative I, I honestly never knew i honestly never knew that there were so many people flying domestically i didn't realize that that was like a common occurrence so i don't want to give you the impression that it's on my behalf but i don't yeah. want to give you the impression that it's tons of people you're not like in the minority by not regularly taking domestic flights no, especially no for, not. especially for businesses when it can save a whole load of time and they're not particularly bothered by cost or environmental impact then there's a lot of people who are flying between uk cities because of that um mm. So there definitely are those people, and those are the people I think that are most uh, going to miss Flybe. Um, but as you say, there are genuine uses for it and genuine purposes. Um, long, well, I'm not saying the internet, the domestic flights aren't genuine like reasons like people need to get around. Mm. Um, but especially there's a good example of Flybe had a contract with the NHS in the Isle of Man um, that essentially said that anyone who was in the Isle of Man that wasn't able to get the services they'd need, uh, Flybe would help facilitate and move them to the mainland UK, yeah. I believe, to Liverpool. So they had this contract in place that essentially meant that Flybe was helping out the government and helping out the NHS. And sure, someone else could take up that contract, but it's an example of like a more necessary flight, yeah. a more fundamental flight to the people who live in the Isle of Man um, that might not be able to survive necessarily without an equivalent, um, though, of course, that could be taken up by anyone, not necessarily Flybe. But just going back to the point with, um, you know, people being happy because it's, you know, it's discouraging people from flying domestically when they, you know, could use other forms of transport. Like, you can still provide disincentives for people to do that. You could tax domestic flights more. There are other ways of going about that and celebrating the loss of, you know, like an airline that, as you say, provides like certain flights to certain areas that other airlines don't. And I never knew that about their contract with NHS, like that as well. Like there are other ways of tackling that than than you know hoping for just the thing to close down. Yeah. Like again, I I think that that might be going a bit maybe a bit far saying that you know but it's a good be... thing for it to close down because it's because it's you know doing so many domestic flights. Like there are other ways to disincentivize that. You don't have to just close businesses. To be fair though, it, those um, attempts to disincentivize travel are one of the main reasons why they went under. 
um, because obviously you remember earlier this year they renegotiated with the government when they had to pay back um, their yeah. huge tax bill basically but that was because of the level of uh, air passenger duty that they have to pay on like every flight so every flight that leaves a UK airport essentially has to pay air passenger duty so for an airline like Flybe that has a lot of flights that both start and end in UK airports that's a lot mm. of flights that are leaving the UK um, because a lot of them aren't actually leaving the UK they're just taking off from one UK airport and landing in another um, yeah. so that hit them particularly hard um, and that was an attempt to try and disincentivize travel in some ways um, and to encourage other methods. But Flybe were always notorious um, that they would market themselves and try and push to be cheaper than the train um, to most of their destinations. So they have mm. always been going for that market of people that are choosing it over trains and other public transport because it's cheaper. Um, so they've right. always been striving to do that. Um, it just became less and less possible as fuel prices increased recently. Um, less people are flying because of the coronavirus, less people are choosing them as an airline because they know they're in trouble, and also mm. the um, air passenger duty, which hasn't helped them either. But it's an interesting trend generally, the fact that every year we seem to have like a cull of airlines. Last year, we obviously had uh, Thomas Cook and yeah. BMI last year too. Yeah, Fly BMI was last year as well. Um, so that's two major UK airlines. Also, you've got Wow Air, you've got Air Italy, you've got Monarch, Air Berlin. Um, the list of airlines that have gone in recent years is kind of astounding. And as I say, mm. we've got a video that's coming out on Tuesday all about why airlines are going bust at the moment and what the causes are across Europe more generally. Um, so I don't really want to get into that again in this uh, conversation. Um, but it's interesting uh, to see another airline go, especially considering the government only tried to save them earlier this year, um, but with compounding market pressure and obviously the coronavirus, um, which seems to be tying into every story today. It seems that uh, they weren't able to save Flybe um, and that the plans didn't really end up being as successful as the government might have hoped. Thanks for listening to this episode of Too Long Didn't Read. To make sure you find episodes in the future, subscribe to the podcast in your app of choice or over on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash TLDR podcasts. And remember, patrons get a bonus clip from this episode where we discuss the Liberal Democrat leadership race and the future of the party. I think that's it for that. Is that is that the end of the standard podcast then? Yeah, I think so. We'll just end it there. And then... This isn't the end, is it? We are going to do a proper sign-off. You're not just going to... Yeah, we're just going to end it there. Uh, probably. Why? What do you want to say? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It just seems very blasé. It's like, yeah, yeah we'll, just, we'll just end it there. I'll put something in post um, that's like... If you want to get more from us, you can become a okay. patron. Oh, fair. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Okay, fair. I'll put music. Yeah, it's bad. not going to be a hard cut at the end of that.